0: This week on the Music Biz Weekly podcast, David Leaf takes us, dare I say, into the mind of Brian Wilson, he talks about his new book, he talks about Brian Wilson, he talks about writing about Brian and the Beach Boys. This is a great episode if you are just a fan of music and kind of getting that peek behind the scenes and behind the curtain. Welcome
1: to the Music Biz Weekly podcast, founded in 2011, and with over 500 weekly episodes, where Michael Brandvold and Jay Gilbert, two longtime music industry pros, discuss the very latest trends, tools, and tactics that you need to succeed in this. Build new- a stunning
2: band website in minutes with Bandzoogle. Go to Banzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MusicBizWeekly to get fifteen percent off the first year of any subscription.
0: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. You got Mike, you got Jay. This is gonna be another fun episode. Oh, and yeah. and you know, last week was a fun one with with Andrew and talking about reissues and we've gotten a lot of great comments where people are just like, wow, what an amazing story. What amazing insight. I mean, the, 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 the number of plays that that episode is getting is, is much bigger than a lot of our other episodes. And I think it's to the, you know, telling stories that that's what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't business. It wasn't marketing. It wasn't tips and tricks. It was sharing stories and memories and, Kind of peeking behind that curtain. You're gonna yeah. get a lot of that exactly this week, I promise. Um, but before we get into that interview, um, quick shout out to Bruce and everybody at Hypebot and Bands in Town for all your support. Um, and of course to our sponsors, uh, com, built by musicians for musicians. Bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it super easy to build a stunning website and EPK. EPK. For your music, all the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including dozens of fully customizable templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, integrations with Bandcamp, SoundCloud, YouTube, Bands in Town, and more, so you can easily add content from your other online profiles, and of course, their amazing live tech support from their musician-friendly team, excuse me, seven days a week. Uh, bands, uh, bandzoogle's also just added custom landing pages for musicians. So now you can easily create your own music landing pages using preset page templates and built-in funnel tools that will help get your pages up and running and added to your music marketing campaigns in minutes. Plans start at just $8.29 a month, which includes hosting and your own free custom domain name. So all of our listeners, head over to bandzoogle.com, sign it up, sign up, (laughs) tongue twisters today. Sign up, try it for free for 30 days, but make sure you use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY, all one word, and you will get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, Promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY. Nice. And of course, DiscMakers.com. We know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's independent musicians. Digital royalty payments are so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, and T-shirts online and at gigs has become such an important income generator. For every CD you sell at a gig, you might need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money, and that's a lot of streams. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. Head over to DiscMakers.com, place an order for 100 or more CDs, and when you check out, once again, use this promo code, freebiz, that's all one word, and you'll save up to $150 in shipping costs. Uh, Jay, who's our great guest this week?
2: And we we do have a great guest. Um, we have David Lee. Um, David is an author, a writer, a director, award-winning. Uh, I might add, he, he's got several books out. We're going to talk about a couple of them. The newest one is "God Only Knows: The Story of Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys, and the California Myth." Um, uh, fantastic uh, guy and fantastic conversation.
0: Yeah, it you you definitely want to listen to this one. This is this is for the fans. Again, this is another. Uh, not business related. This is for music fans. And you're going to get some insight and understanding into Brian Wilson, which maybe you've never had before. So let it roll.
2: Podcast.com. Subscribe on YouTube, follow, and rate us on Spotify subscribe
0: and leave a review on itunes
1: we appreciate yours
2: today we're excited to speak with award-winning author writer director david leaf david recently released uh, a new book uh, god only knows the story of brian wilson the beach boys and the california myth i'm embarrassed to say i'm only about 30 pages in um but uh, you're setting the stage very well can't wait to get through all of it david thanks so much for joining us today
3: I'm, I'm happy to be with both you guys. Uh, I'm fans of, of of the work you guys do, so happy to happy to be here. Thanks
2: Thank so you. much. Let, let's kick it off. I mean, there's so much we could talk about uh, the things that you've done, but let's let's start with the most recent first. So, the, this new book, uh, "The Story of Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys and, and the California Myth," how did that all come about? Um, why why did you you've done other writing about the beach boys in the past what made you want to do this comprehensive look
3: the the story goes back to when i was in college Uh, i had been a beach boys fan in the 60s but the beatles were my group i i didn't care about anybody but the beatles really i was a top 40 radio guy when there was such a thing and and um in 1971, there was a cover story in Rolling Stone magazine, and I read this story, and it was all about Brian and this legendary lost album called Smile. That article inspired me to buy the new Beach Boys album called Surfs Up, the, the title song being the, the centerpiece from Smile. And I think we remember thinking, oh my God, I want to hear the rest of this album. The song before Surfs Up on, on, on that album was called Till I Die which was the most depressing song anyone's ever written, perhaps. and But the harmonies were beautiful. The melody was beautiful. I said, well, Brian can still do it. And I was talking to my roommate. We, were, we became obsessed with this. And at 19 years old, going to school in Washington, D.C., during the anti-war years, the Nixon administration, we were angry young men. We wanted to change the world. And somehow I verbalized in my head the, the idea, I'm going to move to California, write a book about Brian Wilson, become his friend, and help him finish Smile. And, you know, that, that'd that be like somebody saying, you know, I'm going to run for president and becoming president. It was, it was that insane a notion. But uh, four years after, after uh, reading about Smile, I moved to California. I wasn't here two days before I bumped into Dennis Wilson on the street and, and said to Dennis... I was never shy. I walked up to him and said, hi, hi Dennis, my name is David Leif. I just moved to California to write a book about your brother, Brian. And he laughed and laughed and he just said, good luck. Um, three years from that meeting, the book was in stores, the original book, The Beach Boys and the California Myth. Through that book, through the writing of that book, I became friends with Brian and I've been on his journey ever since and um this year seemed like the year to to, to update the book as as, the, as my british publisher, publisher says it's a massive update um it's it's more than half the length of the original book it has pictures that no one's ever seen brian turned 80 this year i turned 70 this year this is the 60th anniversary of the beach boys signing with with Capitol records so we love anniversary years. So it just seem, it seemed yeah. right to do it now.
0: Hey, David, how do you, well, let me, back, let me back that up. So much has been written and said about the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. I mean, it, it, it could easily be argued that what the Beatles were to Europe and the UK, the Beach Boys are to the United States. I mean, both those bands are pivotal in their influence. And again, so much has been written and said, how do you, even if it's just updating stuff, how do you approach it and go, okay, how do I do this without rewriting the same thing that's been said? Whatever You know, because you know, fans, fans are going to go, well, yeah, we know that already. We know that already. Tell us what we don't know. How do you get those nuggets of what we don't know out of it this time when maybe 10 years ago, that was off limits.
3: Well, it actually, it, it was both what was in my head, Michael, and, and what I figured out how to do, because when I wrote the original book, I was a journalist. I was I was I was a guy on a mission. I wanted to grab the world um, by the collar and say, do you understand how important this Brian Wilson guy is? Well, I don't have to do that anymore. I was an inside outsider. Now I'm an insider. What can I tell And I'm I'm a fan, so what can I tell fans like me that they can't get anywhere else? And the answer was pretty simple once I started to think about it. One can go to Wikipedia. You can Google anything to do with anybody and there'll be a long piece of information about it. There'll be links to stories, videos, interviews, whatever. What I, I can give the reader that they can't get anywhere else is kind of that fly on the wall. Here's what happened behind the scenes that you don't know about. So the, the entire update is designed to do that uh, for the reader. So, so a lot of the stories I've never told anybody other than my friends. Uh, and I stopped writing about the subject you know, more than 20 years ago. So th- this is all kind of fresh material. It was just a matter of telling it, it, it was more a matter of what to leave out uh, before the book got too big because it's kind of gigantic at 450 450- points. Plus
0: pages. And, and and you know, related to Brian, but this could be related to every single artist you've ever written about. Have you found that time, I don't know if softens is the right word, opens them up to talking about things that maybe earlier in their career, in earlier books, they were like, no, 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 that's off limits. I don't want to talk about that. But 20 years later, they're like, yeah, you know what? let's let's discuss this
3: well actually i didn't interview brian for the update i had interviewed him enough during the the past 35 years that i didn't need to do a new interview what what i wanted to talk about uh, were the things that he and i did together that actually mattered like being there for his first solo album when he was under the spell of this horrible horrible psychologist who had taken complete control of his life and and when brian was asked about it after it was over he said yeah i was in prison for nine years Mm -hmm. well he doesn't need to say much more than that that said in in talking to russ Tidelman and lenny warrenker and andy paley and and a few other industry insiders who were there at the time i happened to be there too i was able i'm able to paint a portrait for the reader of here's how bad it was but I'm not going to go. Somebody else can write a book about that whole period if they want. Here's just enough for you to understand. It was hell. Yeah,
1: yeah. But
0: even even writing something like that, and you didn't interview Brian, do you go back and say, Brian, this is what I'm going to discuss? Are you giving Are you giving the artist the right to say? please don't open up that part of my personal life? Or are you saying, well, it was on the record then, and I can do it. I mean, do you get where I'm coming from here? I, sure. How, um, how are I, you
3: approaching that? I, I, I approached it as if uh, Brian Wilson was not reachable to talk to. I, I wrote what I thought was the right story to tell. The story that, again, I, that I as a fan would want to read um, the, the dividing line that I that I felt I didn't want to cross was that between writing about an artist and writing about a friend. That's really where, uh, you know, I, I drew the line and, and it was like, OK, this is something that's nobody's business. And 90 percent of the stuff that happened was nobody's business. The stories that I tell in the book are, are, are it's not that they're public record but they're about things that happened publicly. Now I'm gonna tell you what was really going on behind the scenes, what was yeah. going on at rehearsals for Radio City Music Hall or in the making of the beautiful Dreamer film that I did on Brian, et cetera. Or just walking on the third street promenade in Santa Monica with him, some event that triggered a, a, a professional moment. There are two times in the book where I felt, God, am I crossing the line here or not? And, and I felt they were both so important. One is, and there's a big section about Brian and his relationship with Paul McCartney. And there's one story I wanted to tell about right after Brian's brother Carl died, happened to be right after uh, Linda McCartney had died. And I didn't talk about the details of the conversation they had, just that they had a conversation uh, about it. The other time was was during the making of Beautiful Dreamer, where... On the second day of rehearsal, Brian got up from the vocal rehearsal and he said, I'll be right back um, and didn't come back. And after about 20 minutes, it was like, hey, where is he? So I went downstairs in in the Wilson home where his wife was. I said, Melinda, isn't Brian down here with you? And she said, no, I thought he was upstairs uh, with you. And, And she looked out into the driveway and his car was gone. Now, in the film, we cover that part of the story briefly. In the book, I go into it in more detail, but I felt it was kind of fair game, if you will, to talk about it in in, in the book. Um, It was three hours before we got a call from the emergency room at St. John's Hospital in Santa Monica that Brian was there and we needed to come over. Um, Wow. I I don't go into all the details of what happened in the emergency room, the, 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 the story that I feel kind of almost crosses the line, but is indicative of his and my relationship, both professionally and personally, is after we left the uh, the emergency room and we were going to dinner. And Melinda, Melinda Melinda Wilson in the film kind of makes a joke about it. She's in the emergency room, said, Brian, do you want to stay here or do you want to go out to eat? And Brian goes, let's go eat. Because... Um, If you were to ask Brian, you know, what are the two most important things in his life, music and food would be like right there. And probably in the last 40 years, food has (laughs) definitely taken, you know, first place. Laughter is in there as well, which is one of the reasons we we were great. We were great friends. But walking on the sidewalk to the cars, I was with Brian and Melinda was with my late wife, maybe 20 or so feet behind us. We couldn't hear what they were saying they couldn't hear our conversation and i said to brian if if this smile if you are doing brian wilson presents smile is going to make you sick then you have to stop you can't do this it's not worth your health yeah and he he said no i have to do it and this was kind of a roller coaster that happened throughout the rehearsals leading up to the world premiere in London. And Melinda, again, mentioned it once in the film. So I felt like it wasn't a secret, but just a, a scene in that story that hadn't been, been told before that 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 related to both Brian's determination as an artist, my relationship with him uh, and to him as a friend.
2: Interesting. I, I know you're a Beatle fan and, and I am too. And I've always thought how great it was that You know, Paul McCartney has stated that, you know, Sergeant Pepper really came out of, you know, his love for pet sounds and and just the way that Brian Wilson had taken pop music to another level. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about how you got Paul McCartney to do the forward for your book? And did you have any interaction (laughs) with him about uh, about Brian?
3: Uh, back in 1990, uh, when, when Capital uh, decided to, to release the, the Beach Boys catalog on CD, uh, I was hired to write the liner notes for it. And for, for the Pet Sound CD, which came out by itself, I wanted to do an interview with Paul. And I was connected with, with a great guy named Bill Poricelli, who worked at, at MPL at the time. And we got on the phone and talked about it. He says, I want to make this happen. He's, he's a massive Brian fan as well. And it was set up for a Saturday night. Paul was on tour in Japan. This was his first tour in Japan after having been busted in 1980. <laughs> and you know, I'm sitting at home um, with with Melinda and Eva. We're waiting for the phone to ring. And it's seven o'clock, seven thirty, eight o'clock, eight thirty. I guess it's the call's not going to happen. Finally, at nine o'clock, the call the, call, the phone rings. Hello, can you hold for Paul McCartney? Yeah, I think I can hold for Paul McCartney. I, that, that, that's not going to be a big problem. Wow. And, so, and, and what was, I think, special about the conversation was we were talking about another artist. It wasn't a Beatles interview. So th- this was the first time I think he had spent a half hour talking about Brian Wilson and Pet Sounds and its influence. That was the first time I spoke with him about it. The, the most significant, I think, a uh, quote that I've gotten about Pet Sounds in terms of how it influenced the Beatles came from George Martin, Sir George Martin, sure. who, I, who I was lucky enough to work with a number of times, and he said to me that pe- that Sergeant Pepper was our attempt to equal Pet Sounds. That's how big an influence it was yeah. wow. in, in the Beatles world, and and to me I, that that was just staggering. Um, he also at at the um, at the Radio City tribute that I produced with uh, Phil Ramone and Chip Racklin back in, in 2001, uh, George flew over from London to to be a presenter, and he said, "If I had if I have to select one living genius in popular music, it's Brian Wilson." So it's like, okay, I'm I'm going to be on their side. If Sir George Martin and, and Sir Paul McCartney and Sir Barry Gibb and Elton, Sir Elton John. If all those guys think Brian Wilson is is a genius, I, I think I'll have to agree with that. And so it was it was kind of very straightforward in terms of in this book. I didn't have to sell Brian Wilson to the reader. Yeah, people people picking up the book kind of know. To 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 specifically address your question, Jay, uh, I've had a relationship with the Eastmans since that interview uh, back in nineteen ninety. Uh, with with, um, with Sir Paul, he wasn't, he wasn't a knight yet, but uh, I would say every year, at least once a year, I would bug Lee Eastman about doing a documentary on Paul. And it, it never happened. But when I sent him an email saying, I, I would love Sir Paul to write an introductory piece for the book, um, he, he said, send an email. And I, he forwarded it to, to Paul's person in London. And what came back was an apology Sorry, I don't have a time to to write a lengthy introduction. Will this do? And it's a beautiful quote about God only knows and how that song affects him. And, you know, he talks about and that that's the genius of Brian Wilson. It's like, okay, I can't find a better way to open a book than with a quote from from Paul McCartney about Brian Wilson. Yeah.
0: How 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 could you even reply to that email and go, no, sorry, that won't do.
3: (laughs) 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 You know, it's, it's, you can, one can only imagine you guys are in the business. You know, the amount of requests that everybody gets every day and he's at the
0: very, he's got to be at the top,
3: the top. And, and so for the request to get to him is difficult enough for him to reply with, 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 with a piece like that was, it was just magical. Same with, you know, Barry Gibb, I asked him to write a piece this beautiful essay same with jimmy webb i mean jimmy webb who still must be one of the most underrated great songwriters of the rock era he wrote a piece in in which he said and and i'll pat myself on the back he says i love reading what david writes about brian almost as much as i love listening to brian's music and it's like wow
2: that's a huge compliment
3: yeah so so take it so I'll, i'll take all the compliments and and know that i'm on the right path michael In terms of how i'm telling the story to 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 the to fans like me but the book should also be read by people who are just music lovers who love music history who who think that they know it all about brian and the beach boys because they don't
0: yeah do you every time you like update the book or think about writing the book are you yourself Especially in relationship to Brian and the Beach Boys, are you learning something new each time? Is there a little nugget where you're like, "Wow, I didn't, I didn't quite understand it back then. I get it now. I didn't realize." You know, as a fan, is yes. there something that you pull out of it and go, "Wow, that's cool."
3: The the, the big the biggest thing I I got out of it because uh, the last time I updated it was 1985. So, so it was a long time since I had updated and I had no intention of updating it, but Omnibus Press uh, wasn't interested in what I wanted to do, which was an anthology of all my writings. They said, no, we want an update. And so, okay, I'll write an update. The, the, I think the key piece to your question, Michael, is the author's note in the book. I didn't touch the original book. I left it as it is so people could judge it as I wrote it as a 25-year-old Know-it-all, self-righteous, smartass. the The author's note now comes from a sober, uh, what would I be, an elder statesman, looking back on, <laughs> sure. on everything I did, and and I have much more perspective on life. What it, what it. I didn't know anything about songwriting, about publishing, about how difficult it is for a group to get a deal, how difficult it is for a group to survive. I knew nothing about anything in the music business, zero. you know, my first job in the, in the music business, I was in the mailroom at, at Casablanca, stuffing envelopes for the Kiss Army uh, as a summer relief guy for for six <laughs> weeks. So I, I didn't know anything about how anything worked. Now I've had a lot of experience, not not as much experience as you guys. I think you guys are much deeper in the industry.
0: <laughs> oh, please, please, we we can't we can't get an email to Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, you can get one. It may not. It may ghost you. (laughs) Um, So I was able to look back and and say, okay, here's what I wrote back then. Maybe this was unkind. Maybe this wasn't fair. I didn't I didn't understand California and the California myth that I wrote about. I'd only been here a couple of two years when I started writing about the so-called California myth. Well, now every Sunday. My fiance and I go to have dinner with her mother who lives in the South Bay. Every Sunday, I get off at Hawthorne Boulevard, off the 405 freeway, and I see what that place is like. Yeah, I get it. So I understand where they came from. I understand the, the world that they grew up in much more. And in the author's note, I go into a great deal of, 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 of retrospective, here's what I might have done differently um that said the story i set out to tell really hasn't changed yeah i wanted to tell the story of brian wilson um the first line of the book is this is the story of brian wilson um i won't say the last line of the book because it's kind of a spoiler alert but what I, i i what i really learned michael in writing this update that i don't think i understood the first time around from being around Brian, watching him make music, watching him tour, from listening to him, I, you know, he talked about spirituality, and I quoted him about it in the first edition of the book. When he spoke about smile to reporters, he said, I'm writing a teenage symphony to God. Well, I didn't know what it meant. I used that quote in the book. Now I have a a much better idea of, of what it means, because I always thought of Brian, you know, he's kind of had a Beethoven scowl on his face. And and then I saw Amadeus and it's like, no, no, he's much more like Mozart because he likes to laugh and have fun and and write songs. Well, if you ask Brian, he says, no, no, I'm like Bach. Well, that's a pretty interesting piece of information to get from from a guy who's competing with the Beatles and Motown that he's thinking in his head, I'm writing hymns that if you went to church on Sunday and I played you my new song without a lyric, I just played you the melody of don't worry, baby, or the warmth of the sun, or God only knows it's a hymn. And I think that's where, where he comes from, that he, that he genuinely believes and how can I dispute it? That music is the voice of God as it passes through him.
2: That's beautiful. Let me ask you about, the casual fan that maybe only knows the greatest hits and heard it on the radio growing up. They, they know all of it. Um, if they read this book, what are, what are a couple of things that might surprise them about Brian Wilson?
3: Everything. Yeah. You know, you know, the first thing I had to do to update the book was read it. I had not read it in decades and there was no reason for me to, um, it's an intense book it's it i won't say it's it's not that it's hard reading but it's dense with information and insight into this artist and it's in his voice a lot of the quotes in there are from interviews he's given through the years um so for the casual fan um it's an education in where this music came from that it was a family band it became a family business i was asked Recently, what was you were talking about the Beatles and the Beach Boys, and I wish this had occurred to me when I written, written the update. But I started thinking, you know, in 1962, Brian Epstein became the Beatles' manager, an urbane, educated, sophisticated businessman who was connected to the music industry. In 1962, Murray Wilson became the Beach Boys' manager. Uh, Brian Epstein had this enormous vision. Murray Wilson was like, this is ours, and we're going to keep it ours. And that may explain as much as anything the two journeys that they went on, that this working-class family from the South Bay versus these four guys from England who weren't, they didn't have deep educations, but they had enormous curiosity. That the Beatles spent five years before they got a record deal. The Beach Boys spent five months before they had a hit record. And those kinds of differences in them that I don't think I spelled out in the update really have, have occurred to me as I've been talking about the book because it's, it's, for the casual fan who knows the greatest hits, that may be all you need to know. I, you don't necessarily need to know more than that because once, you know, I say it in the book, it's much easier being a fan than, than being a, a serious fan, being a deep fan Going down the rabbit hole, being part of this Brian Wilson cult, if you will. But if you're in the cult, this is this is the book for you. If if you think you know 1960s music history, this is the book for
0: you. Yeah. Wow. It's yeah. fascinating, fascinating. Um, I know before we wrap up here, Jay and I just have to talk a <laughs> couple minutes about the KISS book you wrote. I mean, we're okay. both- Huge Kiss fans! Um,
2: you did such a great job.
0: An amazing, and an amazing book yeah. you did with Ken Sharp. How did how did that come about? And was was Kiss a band you were a fan of? Were you familiar with them? I mean, you talked about working in Casablanca, but I'm sure that was just a job. That wasn't you going, "Oh my God, I need to get around Kiss." It was just like, "I need somebody to pay me something."
3: Correct. So, so the so the Beach Boys book uh, in 1977 happened through a long series of accidents with a company called Delilah Communications. Um, w- while I was writing that book, they made a deal with um, RSO Records to do a Bee Gees autobiography, and they said, "We got to find somebody to write it." Uh, a man named Jay Levy read my book in galleys, and he said, "That's the guy to write the Bee Gees book." So I I, I did. Beach Boys and the California Myth, the Bee Gees and Authorized Biography, and then Delilah got the deal to write the Authorized Kiss book, and they asked me if I was interested, and I needed a job. Um, writing books, especially in those days, was not a, a remunerative experience. Um, it, it was exciting. It was wonderful. It was thrilling to be able to go into bookstores and see a stack of your books, but you didn't necessarily make a lot of money, especially when you got the royalty statements. No different than the record business for young artists, I'm sure. Um, so they asked me if I wanted to do the Kiss book, and I said, yes, I was not a fan. Um, I'm, I'm a melody and harmony guy. If you were to look at my record collection you know, from the 60s, that's where it would be mostly. In the 70s, it became singer-songwriter. I would be more of a, a queen. I was an enormous Queen fan in, in that same era as KISS was, was, was becoming famous. Anyway, I, I made the deal to, to write the KISS book, and it was a much bigger royalty than I've gotten on either book. So this was really exciting because I knew from from working at, at, at Casablanca that KISS, the KISS Army was going to buy this book. This was going to be a big seller. So I thought. So I, w- I went to join Kiss on tour, in I think it was Des Moines, Iowa.
2: What year was this roughly? This
3: is this is seventy seven. Oh, I'm sorry, seventy eight, early seventy nine. Okay. Some, some some I'm sure there's a, the exact date of the concert is available <laughs> online, like every other piece of information. Um, so I flew out and met them. I I was there for a few days. I interviewed each of them individually. Um, I don't know how much you want me to tell you about. the the interviews um, and and everything that happened. I went back home and I wrote the book. Um, Delilah was happy with the book. Kiss was happy with the book. Bill O'Coin, who was their manager then, was happy with the book. What happened was at the time of this, the book was about to come out, Kiss was negotiating. This is what I was told. They were negotiating for a Saturday morning cartoon series. And... Bill decided that it was the era of action for children's television was was becoming prominent, that if this book came out, there would be no cartoon series, that based on what they had told me and revealed Uh. to me about their sex lives and drug lives and all of that, the cartoon would disappear in an instant. And so the book was shelved all over. A couple of decades later, I'm having lunch with uh, Elliot Kendall uh, and and Ken Sharp, two of our great industry pals. And Ken is talking, Ken is of course the, the leading expert on Kiss as a writer. And he, he talks about this, that I said, well, you haven't read my book. And he says, well, you didn't write a book on Kiss. He says, oh yes, I did. He goes, no, you didn't. I said, oh yes, I did. And I told him that story. And he says, I have to read this book. <laughs> I said, he says, but I'm leaving. I'm going, I'm flying home tomorrow. I said, well, if you want to come to my storage area, we can dig through the boxes and we'll find it. We found a copy of the manuscript. I Xeroxed it. He flew home, read it on the plane. The next day he calls me, says, David, this is the best thing that's ever written on on KISS. This has to come out. I said, well, Ken, I'm not going to update it. If you want to manage the KISS world, be be my guest. And and that's what happened. So Kiss Behind the Mask was 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 the result. Ah. And, it, and it finally came out more than 20 years after after I had written it.
0: It's, Fasc- it's fascinating. I mean, I I, so I I didn't know that that backstory back in the 70s. I mean, that's that that's that little bit of minutia, fans going, Wow, I didn't know there was a book that was written and shelved back in the 70s. Well, that's
3: what it gives it, that's what gives it its currency. That it was them talking at at the top of of the game. They were they were just about to break up. I, you know, I didn't. I, they broke up not long after after that tour, uh, or or at least uh, Ace Ace and Ace left the and,
0: and Peter left. Yeah, and, and Peter
3: left. Yeah, but but this was the last original Kiss interviews that were done. Um, Interesting. At the, at the height of their their first fame, so so it was. It, it was it was it was a lot of fun to be around that because that really taught me a lot about how rock and roll work, what it was like to be on. There it was the first time I'd been on a tour and goodness gracious, how dreary it is to be backstage. in you know, the arenas were, you know, they were hockey and basketball arenas in those days. Yeah. And the hotels were all holiday inns and there, there was no no limos. There and, was no luxury, no luxury whatsoever. It was. It was, it was, it was work. It was hard work. And uh, so I got to see that that was my that was my my first education in, in in how the world worked. I I need
2: to reread it now with that context. Exactly. And and I'm going to and and I can't wait to get through uh, your your new book. David, where can people find your books? Where can people learn more about you?
3: Well, at my website, uh, www.leafprod.com, they can find out about me. Um, at, at, if they hit on the, uh, the, the uh, VIP experience, um, they'll see a link to where they can buy the book from Amazon, uh, which is the only place that has stock of the book. Now, my publisher tells me everybody's going to be out of stock until the second, print, second printing arrives sometime in December. Wow. Congratulations! Um, I, I'll, I'll send you guys the link so you can post it wherever you you post this kind of information. Sure, sure. Um, but it's it's you know I'm 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 out there trying to get people to give it as their as their holiday gift because because it it really um, selling anything as you guys know is 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 difficult. And in, in the old days, they used to talk about selling things. The expression was onesies and twosies.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: because you're only you're selling one at a time to each person. And I, I know with great confidence because I've read this new edition a good dozen times in the course of writing and editing it. It's it's worth, it's worth it. And it's like getting two books in one. You're getting the original book. Yeah. And the and and the new. The and new
2: same book. with the Kiss book. It sounds like the same thing. You get the original book and then you get the the bonus. Um, and we are thrilled to be able to kind of shout from the rooftops for you and anybody that'll listen uh, to make sure that they go get, uh, get this book. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a, a privilege awesome. to uh, talk with you.
3: Thank you, guys. It's it's my privilege. I, obviously, I love talking about the subject. You can't shut me up. Oh, we could talk all
2: day. Oh yeah, exactly. we'll have to do this again sometime, and maybe we can, uh, you know, buy you a cappuccino and solve all the world's problems and and talk <laughs> stories. We we didn't
3: even talk about my UCLA stuff.
2: No, we there's so much yeah. we, we we there's so much
1: we need to cover.
2: Okay, I'm going to be continued, right. David.
3: Thank cappuccino you so much, time. David. Thank you, Michael. So much. Thank you, Jay.
1: Be safe. Visit discmakers.com to place an order for 100 or more CDs. And when you check out, use promo code FREEBIZ and get free shipping up to a 100... Jay, free... following last week's
0: conversation about, you know, creating the reissues and going in the, in the, the vault, vault, this yeah. was such an amazing follow-up of, nice you book know, yeah. writing, writing a book on on an artist. But, you know, Brian Wilson is just not an artist i mean he's just no. not i mean he is at that le- i mean as as david said the beatles looked to brian wilson and the beach boys as that's what we want to do yeah. we want to we want to be better than that i mean yeah when the when the beatles look to you
2: it doesn't get bigger the, than that
0: you can't get higher than that you really no. can't there's very no. few artists that that paul mccartney and the beatles will stop and pay attention very
2: few i mean they listen to pet sounds and even george martin uh, as well as the beatles they they use that as a benchmark like we need to be this good we need to write and be as creative as this album and it uh, you're right it just doesn't get any bigger than that
0: and 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 to get to take a few minutes to get into david's head about as an author how do you approach writing a book on an artist of that level and how do you keep it fresh and new again there's been so much that has been written and said about brian wilson most people would sit here and go please there's nothing new we're not going to learn anything new the
2: difference is is that david was in the room with brian he spent time with him he's broken bread with him a lot of these writers are writing their opinions about things he was actually there with the artist and had those conversations and watched him live his life.
0: Yeah, um, it it just puts a whole new it puts a whole new spin on these books about artists when you talk to the author and you get a little bit of of the of the how as you like to say how the sausage is made. Yeah, now now you can stuff. now you can sit here and and you read that book with a completely different appreciation an understanding you know i've i've always said when you like when i read um ken calais book on fleetwood mac it's like wow now i gotta go back and listen to rumors after reading what ken calais said about recording rumors now that song has a whole different picture in your mind
2: yeah exactly and you know i'm i'm about 30 pages into god only knows the book we're talking about um but just really quickly, I will mention that, you know, we talking about KISS behind the mask. I have to go back and reread that now that we yeah. know how that sausage is made. So <laughs> super great interview.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, as as a diehard KISS fan, and maybe maybe I don't know as much as I should know, but <laughs> I had no idea there was a there was an official KISS authorized book in the late seventies that was written, done, and shelved, and that became Behind the Mask. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Time to reread it. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, yeah. Fascinating discussion with David. Um, I, I I would suggest let's head over to uh, artist community on, on bands in town, go over to bands in town. music biz, weekly Talk to us about the beach boys, or maybe it's just, is there a book about an artist that you read that, Kind of changed your vision, your appreciation, how you heard music after you read that book. You know, did you sit down, read the book, go back to an album and go, wow, this has a whole different meaning to me. Yeah. Because there's so many amazing books out there. Yeah. And I I, I would love to to hear from people as to how yeah. do these books about about artists. Yeah. Change your outlook. Yeah, how do they affect Uh, you? Yeah,
2: I'll throw out one just really quickly. Um, Elton John came out with a documentary called, or I'm sorry, uh, a autobiography um, years ago, and I I bought it and I just hadn't gotten to it. I have a stack of books and I just hadn't. Uh, About a month ago, I finally got through and and read it, and then I had to go back and listen to all those early albums. and He talks about recording them and these other people he's played with, and to you with the Fleetwood Mac, uh, it's it was a whole different experience because now I'm looking at it through a different lens.
0: Yeah. You're, you're picturing the studio location. You're picturing that this song was recorded after this event that he talked about happening the day before.
1: Yeah, exactly. All of,
0: all of a sudden you hear what, what was the influence of that song or that riff? It changes everything yeah. musically. And that's not a bad thing. It's not wow, a bad thing, a thing because it fills out the picture that that the music creates you know the the music creates a picture but something happened to help that music be created what was it yeah so Good yeah let, let let let's talk about that over on, on on the artist community um before we wrap up just a quick shout out again once again to bruce and everybody at hypebot and bands in town thank you for all of your continuous support and, of course, to our sponsors, BandZoogle.com and DiscMakers.com. Thank you so much. We appreciate everything you do every month. Um, that's it. Music Biz Weekly
1: Podcast. We'll see everybody next week. And industry professionals, listen to the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. If you have a product or service and would like to reach this audience, get in touch with Michael or Jay to discuss sponsorship this is for opportunities. for
0: Music Biz Weekly, provided by LarryDavisVoice.com
2: and by jessicamarsvoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.